Diverse is brought to you by SWE Advance, supporting the recruitment, retention, and advancement of women in engineering through career resources, professional development, and one-to-one networking opportunities. Hi, I'm Jonna Gerken, FY18 President of the Society of Women Engineers, and this is SWE's Diverse podcast series. Please remember to add this podcast to your iTunes and like or follow us on social media. Visit SWE.org for more details. Joining me now as part of our Women Executives in Engineering podcast series is Janine Judah. She is the 2017 president of the Society of Petroleum Engineers. She's currently on sabbatical from Chevron, where she was most recently the general manager of Chevron's Southern Africa Business Unit. She is based in Houston, Texas. Thank you for joining us, Janine. It's great to be here, Jana. So Janine, you have a bachelor's and a master's degree in petroleum engineering from Texas A&M. You also have an MBA and a law degree. Tell us about your educational background and career. I'll be glad to. Uh, I grew up here in Houston and my father was also in the oil industry as a lot of uh, people are here in, in Houston. So as the daughter of an engineer, I knew a lot about what engineers did. And I found that a lot of women of my generation who came into engineering in the 70s were daughters of engineers because it was pretty pioneering to major in engineering back then. I was good in math and science, but they weren't my favorite subjects. Actually, English has been and still is my favorite subject in school. But I was very good at problem solving, and that's really what attracted me to engineering. I decided on engineering as a career uh, early, my junior year in high school. And uh, I never changed my major, which is pretty unusual. I also targeted that I wanted to work in the oil industry, which I've done for almost 40 years. I went to uh, university at Texas A&M University, one of the U.S.'s largest engineering schools. And I got my bachelor's and then later my master's degrees, both in petroleum engineering. I went to work in the Permian Basin area, which is now very well known. Uh, but back then it wasn't so much. I lived in Midland during most of the 1980s, and that's really where I learned the oil field. While I was there, I got an MBA at night uh, from the University of Texas at the Permian Basin, so I would go out and uh, work on projects or work on wells and come in for my classes in my boots and jeans quite often. Uh, I got transferred to Houston, and when I came here, I also decided that I wanted to go to law school. I think a lot of people have law school fantasies. And I uh, went to night school again at the University of Houston and got a JD degree. Uh, Both of those, my MBA and my law degree, were really insurance. Uh, The oil industry is a lot of ups and downs, and I've been through a lot of them in my career. And it was just so I'd have extra backup plans if I needed them uh, to do something else. Uh, Since really the late 90s, I've worked at Chevron, and as a big multinational, I've worked on projects all over the world, uh, Latin America, uh, in Africa. Uh, I've done consulting projects in the Middle East and in Russia and Kazakhstan. and So we've worked on all sorts of different uh, parts of the world uh, until about two years ago when Chevron uh, let me essentially go full-time to work as the current international president of the Society of Petroleum Engineers, which is my professional organization. So that's what I've been doing full-time for the last year, 
and uh, traveling the world, doing a lot of conference speaking and meeting with members and uh, meeting ministers and officers of companies. And it's been a fascinating year. <laughs> I'm sure it has been. With all those credentials, do you still feel you might have to prove yourself in certain situations? Yeah, when, sometimes I'm asked at, when I speak about what do I think hasn't, has not changed the most in the years that I've been a working engineer. And, and it still is, I think, the need to prove that you have the right to be in the room sometimes. And it's disappointing to me that that hasn't changed more. There are still far too many meetings where I'm the only woman in the room. And often they're surprised, A, that I'm an engineer, and then B, that I've been so involved and have such a uh, broad career, both professionally and then in the volunteer side with SPE. Uh, it's still surprising. And I know even for me, as long as I've been around, it's still got to be challenging to some of the younger women that they have to state their credentials, you know, and, and let people know that they really know what they're doing. I still think after all these years that uh, often, too often, uh, women have to be not only as good, but often better than their male peers. And that's disappointing, but that's the reality. And so when I counsel younger women, I just warn them that that might be part of the table stakes for them in their corporate environment and just to roll with it and uh, realize that that's just the way things are and uh, know that you have skills and confidence to be able to do the job well. Thanks for sharing that. You mentioned your career at Chevron and the current role you're in as the president of SPE has taken you all over the world. And you joke, we, we joked earlier that you have platinum status on multiple airlines. Um, what do you think has been the key to your success um, as a leader and being able to um, succeed in both of these roles? Well, I think it's my leadership style that has helped me be good at what I do. And I actually think a lot of what I learned about being a good leader, I originally learned through my involvement in SPE, but it's very similar to what women can learn through involvement in SWE. When I started, a lot of managers were very autocratic. And in fact, that's still the norm in many parts of the world, where the boss says something and then the people that work for him comply. And there's not the open and collaborative discussion type uh, meetings that we tend to have in North America. Having spent so many years as a volunteer and having to lead through vision and through influence and through making people want to follow you rather than people that have to follow you because you sign their performance review helps in the current mode of leadership where you have to lead by collaboration. So I think uh, I learned a lot of it through volunteer uh, involvement, but I also think that women are generally better at collaborative styles of leadership. So I think what the SWE members can learn from staying involved in SWE and stepping up to leadership positions in SWE is to learn those leading by vision and influence and helping people follow you because they want to, not because they have to. That's great advice. Thanks. Um, you also recently wrote a column uh, about the need to treat diversity the same way your industry has treated safety, which we have sure have all heard a little bit about. Can you tell us a little bit about that um, concept? 
So in the 1980s, when I started working, safety in the oil industry was generally thought to be the province of back then, they called it the safety man. So if you were out on a project or on a location, you had a safety person and it was his job to be the safety person. Other people were not accountable for safety. And it was just assumed that the oil field is dangerous and that people get hurt and that was just part of the cost of doing business. At least for the oil industry, and I think other industries have had similar uh, moments of epiphany, for us it was really two incidents in the late 1980s. There was a large uh, fire and explosion in the North Sea on a platform called Piper Alpha, and then shortly after that there was the Exxon Valdez in Alaska, which everyone has probably heard about. Both those incidents really shook the oil industry and made people realize that we had to do safety differently. And so now safety is an accountable metric for everyone. From the very top of the company to the bottom, we, we live safety, we talk about it in every meeting, it becomes completely natural and completely uh, part of the way we do business. There's a similar analogy with diversity inclusion. In too many companies, the company management has relegated the responsibility for diversity inclusion to a diversity and inclusion person who is often part of the HR organization and that person is supposed to manage those programs. The problem with that, like the safety man of the 80s, is that there's no accountability for management. And I believe that for diversity and inclusion to become a routine part of how we do business, so whether it's every day, every meeting, just like we do safety, it needs to become accountable for all management. So there's a real analogy. When people say that diversity is hard or we can't uh, increase the number of women in technical leadership roles, I say make it accountable, force people to look around. We did it with safety. We changed the attitudes uh, by making people accountable for them. And so it's something we've done before, and I think we can do it again. I love that. Thank you so much. We do need to to make people accountable to diversity throughout the entire organization. You can't just kick it over exactly. the fence to the diversity people. And that's what they used to do with safety. We don't do it anymore with safety. It's part of everyone's business. And diversity also should be part of everyone's business. But in most companies, and not just in the oil industry, almost any big industrial organization, it's not. It's still the diversity group's right. issue. Well, and speaking of that, on that, on that same train of thought, um, we talk a lot in SUI about using men as diversity partners. Um, how do you feel that if men are essential to being diversity partners? To me, they're absolutely crucial uh, to be part of an attitude for change. And really for those reasons around accountability. Uh, in most organizations, in fact, in all engineering-based organizations that I know of, uh, men hold most of the power and most of the positions of authority, especially in the technical arena. And if they're not part of the solution, then things will never change. So I think it's absolutely essential that men be part of the solution. Too many organizations look to the women leaders to lead the diversity change. And I think that's a mistake. It's the men that must be involved, the overall leadership and management of the company needs to be involved. Like safety, 
it needs to be part of everyone's business. Agreed. Thanks. You did mention earlier that your father is an engineer, um, maybe one of your early diversity partners. <laughs> is it um, essential for girls to have role models in engineering, male or female? I think it's far more essential for women to have uh, role models to go into an engineering field, primarily because for most people, it's not reinforced as a good career choice. Either it's too hard or it's too masculine or you have to go out in the field or into a plant. And often that's not reinforced by parents, by counselors, by other uh, people that are around the young woman who's thinking about engineering as a career. I think it's essential for almost all engineering students, but particularly for uh, women and uh, first-generation college students is some encouragement while they're in university. Almost everyone I know, and myself included, you have a really rough semester, often in their sophomore year, maybe when you get to the upper level, mathematics, or there's a physics course that tend to be flunk-out courses at a lot of universities, and a lot of students drop out of engineering and switch to business or other majors. And I think they need a role model or a mentor or someone that can help them get through those rough patches in university and where they can get to, at least in my view, the more fun stuff, the more interesting engineering classes that are often at the upper level. So having someone who can encourage them and reinforce their decision, I think is also essential, particularly uh, during uh, university when they're thinking about switching majors. So true. So true. And we are finding that those sweet sections in the collegiate school um, for the collegiates is, is essential to helping them stay. So on that note, um, how has SWE helped you in your career? I'll be honest, I was a member of the SWE chapter when I was in university, but I wasn't very active. And I've only really gotten back involved with SWE in the last 10 years or so. And it's been primarily as an offshoot of my passion around mentoring and giving advice to younger women engineers. And so I use SWE to help me do that well. I think what makes SWE different from the professional engineering organizations like SPE or AICHE or IEEE, the, the discipline-based engineering organizations, is that it is so focused on women and so focused on those uh, other parts of your career. So not just the technical things, which are very important, but also those career skills and the interaction. So I think there's really some really key items that women can get from being involved in SWE that you don't get from your uh, discipline engineering organization. Uh, one of them is a network or a posse or you know friends, people that that you can talk about some of the career issues that you have. So whether it's working with a boss or uh, making those hard decisions, having that group of other women that you can discuss those often women-centered issues, I think is a good thing. Second is all the really wonderful career development uh, programs, webinars, resources that SWE puts out there on the web for anyone to have access to. And they're really outstanding. And I've referred a lot of non-SWE members to look at SWE materials. There's some really great career development uh, programs that SWE has that, that help younger women particularly deal with those difficult career decisions. And then the third is 
really just around your personal network. Uh, it never hurts to have more people in your network, more people you know. And SWE, since it is a cross-disciplinary organization, it's very diverse as far as the companies and the geographic spread. So as opposed to, like for me, Society of Petroleum Engineers, obviously everybody works in the oil industry, through SWE I've been able to meet women from all kinds of companies. And there's a lot of commonalities across industries that you wouldn't get with uh, the single discipline organizations. Very true. Thank you very much. And so finally, what advice do you have, um, maybe additional advice or final advice for women engineers who want to become leaders? I guess that I, I get asked that question a lot uh, around my general career advice. And actually, I have a talk on that. And it's a very popular talk. I give it a lot, both to employee groups and particularly women's networks in certain organizations. And my buzz line is the three E's so that people can remember my advice. And it's really three things. Number one is excellence, the first E. Be good at your job, solve your boss's problems, be technically excellent, look for ways to learn. That's the table stakes that you have for any advancement in an organization is being technically good at your job. And that's particularly true for engineers, but it's really true for any discipline. If you're an HR or finance or any other part of the organization, knowing your stuff is table stakes, is the entry point for moving up the ladder. The second E that I talk about that a lot of people haven't talked about, it's becoming more in vogue in the last couple years. I call it endurance. Other people call it perseverance. Uh, other people call it grit. The recent Sheryl Sandberg book, Option B, talks about resilience. So it's a very trending topic, but the point of it is that there will be times when life doesn't go your way. And it could be things at work, it could be things in your personal life, and it's a motivation for younger women to not give up. Often women have easy social outs to perhaps quit. Uh, maybe they have kids at home or or a husband who works or other issues. But my advice to them is to, to really try to make it through the rough patches in life. Because to have a long career, to have a rewarding career, to move up in the ladder, there will be times that things don't go your way. And you will have to have some endurance and perseverance to get yourself through those rough patches. Then the third E is empowerment. And what I mean by that is, it's really the thing that I've learned in my career that I wish I'd known when I was younger. Paying it forward, doing things for people in your network, uh, putting a hand down for those behind you, empowers them, obviously, but it also empowers you. And I found that over my course of the career that the things that I've done good for other people have come back to me. And it sounds, you know, naive or kind of crazy. I call it you know, having good karma in the universe, but, but doing good things for others does pay off in the end. And so be that person. Be the person who's a, a giver in the organization. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for things when you need it, but 
pay it forward, do things for other people, help find opportunities for people in your network, because then they'll find opportunities for you. And it just uh, is a way to increase the opportunities for everyone. So the three E's, excellence, endurance, empowerment, and that really summarizes my career advice that I give everyone. That's wonderful. Thanks so much. I really like those. Janine, uh, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jonna. And uh, I'm glad to be able to share what I've learned with the young women of SWE. Awesome. Awesome. Janine Judah is the 2017 president of the Society of Petroleum Engineers. She's currently on sabbatical from Chevron. Thanks for participating in our Women Executives in Engineering podcast series. For SWE, this is Jonna Gherkin. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to explore additional offerings from SWE Advance at advancedlearning.swe.org.